Hello, friends, and thank you for joining Christ Church Online. We are in the ninth week of our series entitled Character Sketch, and this week we have two sermons for you, not just one. In the sanctuary, the Reverend Dr. John Guest preached on the faithfulness of Elijah, while in Wilson Hall, our high school pastor, the Reverend Doug Rary, preached. Here is the message from Pastor John. Thank you for listening. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for PA systems. Thank you for the opportunity for us to use this technology in a way that brings the word so close to us. So again, I pray that you would take our lips, our minds, our hearts, and the way we have praised you and responded to you, that you would do so now so that when I speak, you might speak through me. That when we hear, we would hear what you have to say. So take our wills and bend them to your word. And take our hearts, Lord, and set them on fire with love for you. You are lovely. You are wonderful. Thank you for moments like this just to be quiet, to talk to you, to seek your face, to wait on you, to be ready to hear what you have to say. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, Elijah, my goodness me, in one sermon, we're going to be here till about uh, the beginning of the Penguins game. (laughs) That's three o'clock this afternoon. And I am sure that if they lose, you're going to need to be here this evening to brighten your spirits. (laughs) And if they win... You can come here with bells on and dance down the aisle and join in this praise service. It's amazing the impact the culture around us has on us. So if it's the Steelers or the Pirates, I mean, could you believe the opening of the season for the Pirates? Everybody forecasting a miserable season. Of course, the season's not over yet either. But when you've got the Steelers winning... And the penguins, hot dog. I mean, you get excited. And one place to express your gratitude for living in Pittsburgh is to be among God's people, praising him, enjoying together, being part of a much bigger scene that uh, is very, very, for the most part, encouraging to us. We are a sports centered city but for us who are also Jesus centered it's very very important for us to be fans of Jesus to turn up and praise him and worship him and enjoy him and do it together it's different when you're doing it together than just by yourself so as the body of Christ that's a call again for this evening but to come to Elijah You just heard one of the scenes from his life, read by Fred White, the scene at Zarephath. There are so many scenes, and I just want to rehearse them very, very quickly so that you can get the size of the drama. Because Elijah bursts onto the scene in chapter 17 of 1 Kings without any announcement about his family, his background, or his call, other than where he was from 
And it's never explained across the course of his life how he got to be a prophet, prophet, how God called him. I mean, if you go to Jeremiah, you've got his call. You go to Isaiah, you've got his call. When it comes to Elijah, there is no call. And yet, this is how significant he is. When Jesus took Peter, James, and John up the mount, which we call now the Mount of Transfiguration, that they might witness, Peter, James, and John, his glory. This is very, very close to the cross and the degradation that Jesus was to endure and the discouragement that his disciples were to experience. And Jesus is on that mount. A cloud comes. Jesus is absolutely transfigured and glowing, iridescent. They see him for who he is. Both John in his epistles and Peter in his epistles refer back to being on that mount, expressing the amazement at seeing Jesus revealed to them for the glorious being, God in the flesh, that he was to them and thereby to the world. But who else turned up on the mountain? Moses? And Elijah, of all the people that might have been gathered out of heaven to come and witness this transformation of Jesus, Elijah and Moses. And what theologians say is, well, you've got here the comprehension of the law with Moses and the prophets with Elijah. Kind of summing up. The whole of the New Te- Old Testament, the Old Testament revelation of Jesus through the law and the prophets. And as my wife and I were reading together earlier this morning and also the Psalms, that Jesus was the Messiah, Elijah, alive, stepping out of glory. So that Peter, James, and John could witness the whole galaxy of power and might revealed out of the Old Testament, somehow focused in those two who are coming to be with Jesus, acknowledging his glory as well, who had left heaven, who had left them where they were, came to earth for us. And was about to go through that amazing atoning death on a cross. They are there and Peter, James and John witness it. That's how consequential Elijah is. He's also referred to in James. Where James, and this is not the James who went up the mountain either. That James was the second of the martyrs in uh, the Acts of the Apostles. But this is James, the brother of Jesus, who says this, encouraging us to prayer and faithfulness. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. That's Elijah. 
And mentioned there is one of those uh, many scenes. It's the one that he bursts out of scripture and into the experience of the world by addressing the wickedness of Ahab and his wife Jezebel. Can you imagine all the Jezebels who are somehow referred to across the space of history? The real one was married to Ahab, king of Israel. And they were so wicked between them, so wicked, that the nation fell away into dramatic wickedness. Listen to these words. Ahab, this is from 1 Kings 16. It's kind of setting the stage for Elijah. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, preceding king, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of the king of Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him, and set up an altar to Baal, in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Ashtarah pole and did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than did all the kings of Israel before him. And that sets the stage for Elijah to come onto the scene, visit with the king, and tell him there is going to be a drought for years, in response to his wickedness, Elijah tells the king that in response to that wickedness, there's going to be a drought. The Lord sends Elijah off to hide himself at a brook called the Brook Kereth. And there for some period of time he drank water from the brook until the brook dried up because of the drought. And he was fed at the brook by ravens who brought food morning and evening. The second big scene is when the brook dries up, God sends him over to Zarephath where he's cared for by the widow and again does the Lord know about that situation it's the Lord who sent him into that situation and the Lord provides for them all through that situation and that's the story that you had read and then as the drought goes on for three years and the land is in desperate shape and everything's drying up, Elijah goes to Ahab and tells him to gather all the Baal worshippers on Mount Carmel. And this brings us to that fantastic scene where all the Baal worshippers and the Ashtoreth worshippers are there and Israel is there, people representing the company of the people. And Ahab is there. And Elijah says, why do you hobble along 
He's addressing the whole crowd between two opinions. If the Lord is God, serve him. If Baal is God, serve him. And they were all silent. Uncommitted. Elijah calls for the building of two altars. One by the Baal worshippers and the other by the Jehovah worshippers. For the Lord had yet kept to himself those who had not bowed the knee to Baal. So you've got two altars. Most of you remember this scene. The Baal worshippers are asked to call down from heaven their god Baal to set fire to that altar. And the God who answers by fire is the true God. And they scream and cry out all day long. And Elijah mocks mocks them at it. He said, scream louder, call louder. Maybe he's on a journey. Maybe he's napping. Maybe he's daydreaming. And they cried out all day long till they were hoarse and they quit come evening. Elijah asks them to douse his altar with water and calls on the Lord, the God of Israel, to set fire to it all. And it's all burned up. The Lord comes down and sets fire to it all. Another magnificent scene. And the Baal prophets and priests are executed. And Jezebel, when she hears this from Ahab, I can't imagine Ahab going back to Jezebel, piece of work that she was, and telling her, the one who brought all this Baal stuff in in their marriage, and brought Ahab into that kind of idolatry and defilement, he goes back and tells her what Elijah did. And she swears to take Elijah's life. May he be like one of those dead Baal priests by this day's end. And God sends Elijah off again to hide in the mountains. And that brings us to another scene. Where God comes to visit Elijah first in the wind. Then in the earthquake. Then in the fire. And what next? The old King James Version. The still, small voice. God speaks to Elijah. God had all the power. All he needed to do was whisper his word. Elijah got that message. Come the end of Elijah's life, and there are other bits and pieces. But you know how he got to heaven? Chariot of fire. I love the movie, Chariots of Fire. It taken from that scene where Elisha is given a double blessing of all that was on Elijah and this chariot of fire comes down with horses of fire and he's taken up in a whirlwind to glory. That's the way to go. The other way is like Bobby Shockley, go to bed one night and wake up in heaven. That's what he did this week. Somebody had asked Bobby just a week or so ago what they could pray for him. He says, I want to go home like Elijah. Well, he didn't get a chariot of fire that we know of. But he went home and Jesus greeted him. Welcomed him home. 
But that's how Elijah finished up. Now when you take all that, do you know what the occasion of all this is? How it is that we need an Elijah. That he has given us, for those of us who are into Bible teaching and the story of what God has done in the Bible. The dramas that we've just described and there are others beside them. But these major dramas, how were they given birth? Into what scene did they come? Why do we see all that? Because of the wickedness of the world in which Elijah was called to be a prophet and thereby a leader for the Lord. And his faithfulness to God in the face of the culture is very reminiscent for us of where we are today. The wickedness of the world, the desperate, almost compulsive need in the USA to deny our heritage and our roots and to say that we are a secular nation. That's a lie. To drive God out of our schools, that's a wickedness. To take him out of public life, to say we don't need him in public life, is extreme. The kind of battles we are in today in the world of politics have to do with moral behavior. And in particular, our sexual behaviors. Nobody wants to be told how they can live their life with regard to their sexual expression. And I remember mentioning the idiocy several weeks ago, maybe months, of having boy-girl toilets for the boys or the girls who don't know whether they are boys or girls. It's craziness. It's rank wickedness. It's trying to tear out of the fabric of our life as a nation the place of God in our nation. Not that we're a theocracy, but our roots and our heritage are gospel-centered and Bible-centered. Do you know at the Supreme Court, over the, uh, the, the pillars and the arch that's there, like a triangular shape over the top of the front, the face of the Supreme Court are all the great lawgivers of the world facing inward, and there is one in the middle who's facing outward holding two great tablets, Moses. That's our Supreme Court. To pretend that God doesn't have a place in our lives and our history and our culture and our lawmaking... And when you have thereby institutional wickedness, institutional and institutionalized disregard for God's word. And where are the Elijahs today to stand up and speak for the Lord? One of the great things when you come to deal with Elijah's faithfulness, it's summed up in his obedience to what God told him to do the word of the Lord came to Elijah saying go to the brook Kareth and you work your way through and it's the word of the Lord that says go confront Ahab and whatever God told him to do he did he ran and hid as well 
That's what he was doing when the God in the wind and the earthquake and the fire and the still small voice came to visit him. He was hiding from Jezebel. He was a man like we are, but how powerfully God used him. He knew who he was and why he stood as he stood in the face of a Jezebel and an Ahab. Listen to these words at the beginning of 1 Kings chapter 17. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishba in Gilead, and that's all they ever tell you about him, said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, is the King James translation there, before whom I stand, this translation NIV, whom I serve. As the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, or thereby whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except by my word. Where did Elijah see himself standing? What court? What authority? Who did he look to as a responsible human being himself? The Lord God of Israel. That's where he stood. It's reminiscent of Martin Luther at the Reformation under trial for his life, saying that outside of the Word of God, unless anything can be proven by the Word of God, he is not beholden to it. And by the Word of God, he said, Here I stand. I can do no other. Where do you stand? Where do we stand in this culture? Where are the Elijahs of our day? He knew who he was. He wasn't beholding to the king, though he had the kingly authority. And kings and queens in their day have had immense power and influence and glory. My wife and I and our daughter are watching the series Victoria right now having watched the series about the crown. I'd encourage you to see both those series. They're fabulous. They come off of PBS, as far as I know. But here is an 18-year-old queen, a teenager, who becomes Queen of England, Victoria. And whenever men come into her presence of power, they kneel before her and kiss her hand. And when they walk out from her, they don't turn around and turn their back on her. They walk away backwards till they've exited the room. An 18-year-old teenager. But she wore the crown of the sovereign of England. I remember when Billy Graham first came to to the UK, to England, and preached The time I got converted, 1954. And you see this in the movie The Crown. The Queen invites Billy Graham to tea. Winston Churchill had a glass of beer with him in a pub, though Billy drank lemonade. The whole of England was like at the feet of Billy Graham. He was in his early 30s. And somebody asked the Graham team, how do you feel you could put him brackets, you Americans. They didn't add that. 
coming over here to England and being in the presence of royalty and all this authority. (laughs) Do you know what the answer those Americans gave? They serve the King of Kings, Jesus. He is our Lord. And we do not feel the least bit inferior in any other company. We stand in the presence of the Lord. That's where Elijah stood. And despite the power of the authority of the state and the kind of arbitrary power of Ahab and Jezebel, he stood for the truth of God's word and the desire of God on his part to bring that nation to repentance and to newness of life. That's the faithfulness of Elijah. But I want to ask you all a question, really from his lips. Why do you, I just speak in general terms, as if he were speaking to us, why do you hobble along, limp along, between two opinions? If the Lord is God, serve him. If the state is God, if the state, Baal, is God, serve Baal. Make up your minds. Settle the deal. The final authority in our lives is not the United States of America government. It is not the president. It is not the Senate. It is not the House. Nor is it the Supreme Court. We stand as followers of Jesus Christ before him, the Lord of glory. And one day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord of glory, Lord to the glory of the Father. He is our Lord. Let's be true to him. Let us be Elijah's. Listen, dear friends, we know so much more than Elijah ever knew till he got to glory. We have this word of God The revelation of God himself in the flesh in Jesus. The atoning new life beginning place for us at the cross. A resurrected Jesus walking from the grave alive, conquering sin, conquering death, conquering hell, conquering Satan. For us. And we invite him to come and sit on the throne of our lives and reign in our lives, the palace of our lives. And if we have done that, if that is the truth, then it's first his lordship, his word, his truth, his way. Our citizenship, said the Apostle Paul, is in heaven. From whence we look for a savior and the only place to stand and the only place to find the courage and thereby to act with any kind of faithfulness is in the presence of that living God so let's bow and pray together Lord Jesus oh how we long to be Elijah like to hear what you have to say We know what you're telling us to do. It's plain before us every time we read your scripture. 
It's almost as if Joshua is shouting down through the centuries, Choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Have mercy on us, Lord. Forgive us our cowardice in the face of a culture that mocks your righteousness. May we never be ashamed of you. Forgive us where we have failed you. And clearly, we in our day desperately need you to so fill us and convince us and cause us to commit to you, to surrender all to you, our wealth, our dignity, our position, our possessions, all that we have, all that we are, the offices we hold, the place in public life where we stand, that we might be there as your representative, your ambassador. Thank you, Lord, for this evening, the evenings. I really do mean morning, Lord, this morning's time together. We are blessed, a blessed people. So grant that we may walk in the footsteps of Elijah and speak your truth to power, to influence, and to public opinion. We pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.